0: In this episode, your wine crash course to learn about Georgian wine. We'll be talking about what is Georgian wine, how is it different from other types of wine, and the history of Georgian wine, as well as a few other special winey treats.
1: Gama This is the Tbilisi Podcast, covering life, travel, and more in the country of Georgia. Brought to you by foodfuntravel.com, expathub.ge, and eathistours.com. Welcome to another episode of the Tbilisi podcast, a show about life and travel in Tbilisi and Georgia.
0: And wine today. And wine today. Because that is a big part of life and travel in Georgia.
1: It, 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 yeah. I don't know if there would be Georgian life without wine. It just, it's copacetic.
0: Literally wouldn't be. No. It is a huge part of the entire culture.
1: Anyway, we should tell people who we are in case they don't know.
0: Oh, yeah. It's uh, Tom here from eatthistours.com and expathub.ge.
1: And I am Meg from foodfundtravel.com. And we are your hosts.
0: Yeah. Today we are. Who knows? Tomorrow it might be someone else. No,
1: it'll, it'll be one of us.
0: One of us. One it'll of us will probably be here. Yeah. Almost certainly. Uh,
1: but we have been hinting at this episode for quite a while. We keep uh, releasing episodes and in that the mention of wine comes up and we're like, oh, but we'll talk about that later. It's really important in Georgia, but we'll talk about that more later. And today is the day. Today is
0: the later. We have today finally later reached has it.
1: come. It has come. And today we're talking about wine. Um, it's really, really important. We're going to go into everything that you need to know, a beginner's guide to Georgian wine, because it's not the same as probably some of the wine that you've had in, in your home country.
0: Yeah, it's actually pretty different. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So yeah, the first topic on the agenda for understanding Georgian wine is the difference between classical European winemaking and traditional Georgian winemaking. That's the that's the big one. Yeah. This is where the difference is. Yeah. Now, you may or may not have any knowledge on Georgian wine. Maybe you've just got a little bit. Maybe you've, you've seen some photos. But you might have seen, if you have looked up the term Georgian wine at any point, you might have seen some orangey, amber-coloured wines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, that is sort of what we're talking about. At least, I mean, there's a lot more to it than just that. But that is like the first thing people notice and go, Huh, that looks somewhat different to the wines I'm used to.
1: It's also the thing, if you've seen some news articles, it's what people in the wine industry is, are talking about right now. They're all talking about the amber wine of Georgia.
0: Yeah, it's pretty exciting, actually, because this wine is based on an ancient tradition, the oldest winemaking tradition known on Earth. And we'll talk a little bit more about the history in a second. But I wanted to introduce the difference between the types of wine and why it's why it's amber. What's going on with this? Yeah. So in classical European winemaking, which uh, actually is a more modern form of winemaking than traditional Georgian winemaking, the white wines specifically are made with either zero or minimal skin contact. So what this means is that they press the grapes, they remove all the skins and seeds and stems and all of that sort of stuff. They just take the juice and they ferment the juice. Uh, Perhaps they add some yeast as well to that to help it ferment, and that turns it into the wonderful Thing that is wine,
1: yeah, and that's why traditionally European wine is quite light in colour.
0: Yeah, light in colour, sometimes almost transparent, sometimes you know a little bit greeny, a little bit sort of yeah, yeah, maybe slightly opaque. But also one of the other reasons that it's uh, it's normally a lot clearer as well is because the. The filtration, there's a serious amount of filtration done on commercial wines in Europe. Yeah. Whereas in Georgia, uh, these traditional wines are normally, the filtration is done by the gravitational method, which is just let the sediments sit. and They then, like to
1: keep it all yeah, in there.
0: Yeah. Leave it down there in the bottom of the winemaking vessel and then pump the wine out once it's all settled so that there will still be some elements in the wine, but it will have uh, lost all of the big chunky bits. Yeah. So
1: general. I think that's one of the main reasons why you'll find that white wine Or amber wine, it's still a white wine variety here. That's why you'll find that the flavors are quite a bit more robust than what you would be expecting from some of the European styles. Well,
0: they're hugely, hugely different when it comes to white wines because uh, the skins are left in and the seeds and the stems. And this adds a whole different element to the entire winemaking process. So, uh, as we said, I mean, in some classical European wines, they might use uh, skin contact for a short amount of time. Uh, maybe a a few hours even, or a few days, uh, possibly a couple of weeks at most is sort of uh, possible, but it doesn't normally go much further than that. Whereas here we're talking about skins of the grapes being left in for like six months. Yeah. Uh, Occasionally it's uh, significantly less, occasionally it's significantly more. Just depends on the winemaker's preference and the type of grape and what's going to work to make the perfect wine that they're trying to design. Uh, Because of course it's an art form. It's, uh, It's not just the process. It is every choice is made by the winemaker as to what will then create the end product. Absolutely. Uh, The other main difference here, what we're talking about, is the actual vessel in which it is produced. Classical European wines these days are made in steel tanks. That is the normal way. Yes, there are multiple other things you could do, but any large commercial winery, that's almost certainly what they'll be using. Whereas the traditional Georgian wine method is made with an amphora, which is a a large clay pot. But here in Georgia, it's called a quaveri. And it's exactly the same sort of thing, but the shape is often very different from the sort of amphora you might see in Greece or in other countries.
1: Yeah, here it is, a teardrop shape.
0: Yes, it has a pointy bottom. And there's a reason for this uh, this smaller teardrop area at the bottom. Very important reason, because that is where all of these skins and seeds and everything will collect. And that is where they will separate out from the, the juice of the wine as the wine ferments. So that all sits at the bottom. This also means that by leaving the stems and skins in for six months, uh, it's actually not as much physical surface area contact with those skins as it would be if you had a flat-bottomed pot. And the flat-bottomed pots that you probably would have seen for a normal amphora in, in Western Europe and Central Europe, this is based on uh, convenience. This was based on uh, transport of wine. If ah. you have a flat bottom, it is easy to stack these on a cart. That makes sense. The quaveries are
1: not easy to stack.
0: No, quaveries are not easy to stack. And also mainly the way the quaveries are used here is they will be dug into the ground. Yeah, they're They'll not
1: be, being transported. No,
0: they, they're sunken into the ground. So only the top of the quaverie, the very top uh, area where you pour the liquid in, is actually seen. And that is to control the temperature for fermentations because the ground is, of course, much more stable throughout the day than if it was outside where the air temperature could adjust by a very large amount, of course, over a 24-hour period. So that helps to stabilize the wine and the fermentation temperature and the, the aging temperature as well. Because hmm. as I said, the, the, the stems and skins and stuff are left inside. I mean, it, it varies to every single winemaker. So some people put stems in, some don't. Some people put the, yeah, the skins in for different amounts of time. It just depends what they want to do. So it's, it's a totally different process uh, for every person. But the, the, the theme is the same. The style is the same. Uh, and the history is the same. And so, one of
1: the interesting things—I don't know if we mentioned this in previous podcast episodes—that uh, pretty much most Georgian homes will have their own cuvee, whether it be in the like they have it in their their porch or in the backyard or in like in, in some way. Like if you're in if you're in the villages, everybody will be making their own wine, and they will probably have their own kveri. Uh You can also one of the things I loved when we moved here—you can also go to like the local hardware store and there will be a selection of winemaking materials. So you can w- make yep. wine in your apartment if you wanted to.
0: Yep. Yep. You might not be able to bury a quavery if you've got a neighbor downstairs in your apartment. They might not appreciate uh, they it. They might not appreciate a quevery through their roof, but you never know. Maybe they'll be like, well, if you share the wine with me, you can put a quevery through you my can roof do what and you we'll like. just hang some lights around it and it'll look sort of cool. Yep. But you won't have the temperature stabilization, so they're gonna have to keep the aircon on all the time.
1: No, but yeah, this is a very, very common thing. Winemaking is something that Almost everybody does here in Georgia.
0: Yeah. I mean, we'd say like there's thousands of wineries, but there's hun- probably hundreds of thousands. I'd go as far as to say hundreds of thousands of winemakers. It, it probably isn't quite that much. But in a country of three and a half million people, uh, someone in your family is making the wine. Yeah, It's very unusual for no one in your family to be making the wine. So definitely thousands and thousands of home winemakers that you'd never find. They don't make enough wine to sell. They don't want to sell it. They're going to drink it at home. They're going to share it with their friends. They're not inviting guests around to see them. But there are lots of winemakers who are inviting guests around to see them. And that's what we do on our wine tours. We go to these uh, people's homes. We meet the winemakers in person. Uh, we see how they make their wine and we get to drink wine with the winemaker themselves.
1: Let's be honest. We sourced out the good ones for you.
0: That's uh, because... I've I've been to a couple of hundred wineries here now uh, since 2016 when we first got here. Mm-hmm. And anything that meets my sort of approval of, of very good to exceptional, that will end up on tours with with people for our guests. And uh, the ones that don't, uh, we don't send anyone to them. <coughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, well, but we found some very good ones. Uh, so the final information, because uh, we're going to do like a full, we could do a full episode on on winemaking in general. That's just like your your quick introduction. Yeah, quick introduction there. Uh, so let's move on to wine history. Let's do it. Uh, Eight thousand years of history is what you're going to. Here thrown about, that's sort of like the marketing method at the moment. That's what uh, the tourism board are using. That's what all the magazines are printing. That's what all the online publications are saying. And there's a reason for this. Uh, There's a small piece of land about 20 miles south of Tbilisi. And there's an archaeological dig site there called Gada Gora. And here in 2018, they discovered some pottery stained with wine. And they carbon dated it. And it turns out to be 6,000 BC, so 8,000 years ago pretty much and this is the earliest known evidence that we know of of wine storing pots uh, which obviously if they're storing wine in pots that means they made the wine because it didn't get there by magic as far as i'm aware yeah uh, so that is the that is the proof that is the proof there has been no other archaeological evidence anywhere else in the world that's as old as that
1: no so you you may have some people in armenia be like wait hey come on we've got some uh, we've got some stuff here but uh, i believe which they do they do they absolutely do but i believe the the one in armenia uh, is not as old.
0: And the one in Armenia is significantly younger, at least a thousand years younger, I believe. Yeah. And what they discovered there, there was they actually discovered like a winemaking cellar, essentially in a cave. Yes. So it's an actual uh, an actual wine cellar, uh, whereas here it's just uh, open land where they've managed to find the pottery that was being used. Uh, but either way, you know, they would have been making the wine here. You don't have to have your own personal wine cellar if you're making the wine. You're making no. the wine.
1: So yes, as it stands. Uh, Georgia wins that particular one for for the moment until something older is found. But you know what? They're constantly doing further archaeological digs here. So it would be interesting if they did happen to find something even older. That would be great.
0: Yeah. Quite possible they will. In fact, that dig site is ongoing. There's nothing to see there. Honestly, there's no point going there until they build any sort of museum or whatever. You're no, just it's see literally an active ground.
1: work site. Like, yeah. It's not a tourist site.
0: Nothing there right now, but they might find something older at some point. Who knows? So this was the start of it, 6000 BC. And then this exact same style of winemaking and tradition continued in Georgia until the 19th century. Yes, uh, literally nothing changed. I mean, people would have made slightly better queveries. They were getting better at pottery they would have noticed that you know if you do this to clean the quivery, then it's less likely to have bacteria and the wine's less likely to go off and all these other things so of course they incrementally improved the actual process but the exact uh the exact format of how it's done is precisely the same as far as we are aware yeah
1: if it's not broke why change it
0: well the the main reason is because it's so simple all you do is you crack the skins of the grapes so that the 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 juice can sort of mix with the yeast that's on the skin naturally because uh, yeah there's natural that's natural yeast. They don't have to add yeast. They don't need extra products. It's just grapes. Yeah. And you throw everything in and then you wait a while and then it bubbles and ferments. And once it's finished fermenting, it's got alcohol in it. Bada bing, bada boom. Yeah. It's super straightforward.
1: Drinky drinky fun times.
0: So the the goal was yeah, always to figure out well, how do we ferment it without it going rotten or turning to vinegar or, you know, getting mold inside and all those sorts of things. Those are the bits that they would have figured out by trial and error most likely, but we don't know. We don't know how they did it. We just know that now, in modern times, they did figure it out, and it's been much more well-documented through history. But uh, yeah, that's what we got. And in the 19th century, what happened was uh, the first style of the the European classical wines, the other type of wine that all of us know, and and everyone who's lived in in Europe or around the world will know these wines, beyond uh, Georgian wine most likely. That sort of wine started getting made in Georgia as well uh, by um, Alexander Chavchavadze is believed to be one of the first people who sort of popularized that. It's not to say that there couldn't have been a home winemaker somewhere doing it uh, and that we just it was never documented. But uh, he, he was, was a famous. person of
1: note. at the, yeah, as, yeah, as you said, he's famous. He was a person of, of note at the time. And, you know influential people come in and go, this is how I'm drinking my wine now. And everyone goes, yeah. oh, that's so cool. I want to so do that.
0: So fancy, ooh. Alexander. Let uh, me drink your fancy wine out of a bottle. Ooh. That's what happened. He was bottling the wine. He was making it more in the European style and he was putting it in bottles. Whereas everyone else, uh, all these queries, they don't just use them for uh, fermenting and for aging. They also use them for storage. So when the wines are finished, they'll transfer the wine into a storage query. Uh So whatever's left from the wine after you get rid of the, the must at the bottom and everything else, they put that in a query for storage, and that means they can just dip in and drink it as they need it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the general idea. So the, the Query is very versatile in this sense and bottling it would be an expensive process and a complete waste of money when the family are making it just for themselves and they're just going to drink it at home.
1: Yeah, so they just use like a, what's it called? Is it a,
0: a gourd? Is that the word? A gourd, yeah. They, they can pull it, put a gourd on a stick and they put it in the wine and they pull the gourd out and the gourd's full of wine and you just pour it in some glasses. Yep.
1: Yeah, so when your mates come around, you just pour out some wine from the gourd into the glasses and, and you know, repeat.
0: And prior to having glasses, they would have been using little clay pots. Uh Piala is the, one of the names they use for those here. Yes, well, that's or one of the things. You'll- horns. <laughs> the horns. Drinking from the horn, can't Of see.
1: course, the horns, yeah. So the Piala is something that you might actually notice if you've been here before or if you've seen any pictures of Mother Georgia who stands uh, towering over Tbilisi. Uh, in one hand, she has the Piala. In other hand, she has the sword. So basically, that is the representation of Georgia. It's like, if you come here as our friend and as our guest, we will welcome you and we will offer you our wine. If you come here as an enemy we will fight you and and we won't think twice about it so yeah the piala was is a it's really cool if you get an opportunity to drink out of it I uh, some people say because of the clay um, it can make the flavor of the wine taste differently so it is interesting to do a wine tasting where you have the piala versus a glass uh, yeah. just to see what your opinion is on on the difference in taste
0: yeah uh, and all the flavors can be different I it's not just the skin contact and it's the clay itself. Uh, not just the drinking vessel, but the, the quavery Oh, yeah. You um, will
1: have people talk about, you know, their favorite query maker and where it comes from and where the clay yeah. is from and sourced. And it's a big thing.
0: Yeah, that is definitely something for a more detailed episode. But, yeah, the different types of Quevery and the different regions can affect the taste of the final wine as well. Anyway. Back to the history a little bit. So, uh, as we said, this is a crash course. We're moving on pretty swiftly uh, from the 19th century when they started to bottle wine here as well, which was a big shift. Although uh, everyone still kept making Quevery wine and they still do today. But it was an extra element to the winemaking uh, tradition here. After the Soviet Union took over, they uh, they instilled the the spirit of uh, what should we say? Mass production, In- industrialization, mass production. I, I guess you could, if you were on the harsher side of describing it, you would say they literally decimated the entire winemaking tradition. That's a so good way to describe yeah. it, yeah. Uh, and a lot of Georgians would describe it that way as well. Uh, the-
1: Basically, they they. They decided that you can only really grow the most, uh, prof- not profitable, like the, the the grape that-
0: The grapes lit, with the highest yield.
1: The highest yield and the least amount of uh, care, pretty much. Something that just grew easy, had a lot of yield, and they're like, yep, grow all of that. Most, Yep, just do that. We don't want anything else but that, and then we'll take it all. Thank you.
0: Yeah, to the point where literally super rare varieties of grapes disappeared. Some have probably been lost forever. And they're, yeah, yeah, they're totally gone. And they just went, no, get rid of them. Uh, it's actually illegal to plant grapes that are not the ones we want you to plant because we want you to plant the ones that will make the absolute most quantity of wine. We don't care if the quality is any good. yeah And it very, I mean, this is a wider discussion to have about wine history and the Soviet Union in general. But they... We'll get
1: a professional in for yeah, that discussion.
0: They made a decision and said Georgia is the place that will make huge quantities of wine because the, uh, the valleys here are very fertile and they can produce a lot as long as they do it in a mass production style. Uh,
1: So something that you might not actually know with like the Soviet Union, when they took over, a lot of countries under their control were pretty much dictated, yes, um, what they could and could not make. So Georgia was lucky and they were still allowed to grow wine and make wine. But other places like Armenia were told, actually, no, you can't do this anymore. You can do brandy. No more wine. Brandy for you.
0: Yeah, I mean it's sort of like that. It's not exactly uh not exactly like that. It was more along the lines of you you are the producer of brandy. You are the cognac producer. Armenia will make cognac. Of course people still made wine, why wouldn't you? You've got a ton of grapes, but they're like your production is now cognac. Yep. You're the cognac country. Georgia, you are the mass production budget wine country. Like let's produce as much as possible. Moldova, you're making finer wines. Yeah. Cuz we we like the soil there and someone decided somewhere that, oh, that's the place where I like their wines, which, I mean, it's crazy because when you come to Georgia now in modern times, you're tasting so many unique wines. Uh, Georgia could easily have been selected to be the place to make the fine wines because they can do it just as well as anyone else could. Definitely, But uh, they weren't given the opportunity to do that. And they probably uh,
1: had the grape that had the biggest yield. So they're like, do that one. It's cheap. Go for
0: it. Yeah. uh, And it was. That's what happened. So it was super sad. Uh, a lot of great varieties probably went, just completely lost the history and uh, winemakers were were treated quite poorly.
1: How many grape varieties are, do they say that they've got today?
0: Uh, it was 526 at last count, but they do keep finding new ones. So I think it's more in the 530s now. They're, they're literally finding new ones every every few months. That's very cool. So it's difficult to keep track with which articles online are most accurate and most up to date uh but yeah we'll we'll go into go into some more of that if we do a specific wine and grapes uh, episode which i'm sure we will at some point we'll get mm-hmm. into more depth on that uh but anyway this leads us to the 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 end of the soviet union uh when they finally exited here georgia went of course through a, a very hard time of turmoil there was looting on the streets and you know it, it was it was a dangerous time to live here sadly yeah. But it did eventually get resolved. A uh, new government in the early 2000s helped solve the situation. They, they changed a lot of the way that the country works. And you'll find when you get here, and this is one of the questions a lot of guests ask me when they're on tours. They're like, oh, this winery wasn't founded until 2010. Well, that's why are we going to somewhere this new. Well, they're, they're all this new. <laughs> There's yeah. a few like, really old ones from the 19th century that persisted. There's a few wine factories that were Soviet wine factories, and we don't particularly want to go to those because they're still sort of mass production. So it's not somewhere that's particularly interesting for our sort of uh, bespoke tours. And then there's all of the guys whose family made wine for the last many, many generations. And they finally got the opportunity when things changed in the early 2000s to start their own private business and become artisan winemakers. They
1: just weren't allowed to before
0: then. Yeah, during the Soviet time, you could make wine at home, but you weren't allowed to sell it. Uh, any surplus that you had that was not used by your family, you were supposed to donate to the state. And of course, there was a black market where people sold it, uh, but you weren't supposed to, and if you got caught, you could be in trouble. So uh, that's sort of why that happened. But as soon as as uh, as soon as all this changed in the early 2000s, uh, well, I mean, before the early 2000s, you could uh, sell it as well, but it was just that uh, people didn't have the money to actually set up it these It took a while for people running. to get back on their feet again. Yeah, yeah, it was rough. It was a very rough decade or so of, of, of turmoil and change. Uh, so. That's what we're doing today. That's what we're we're doing here in Georgia right now. in In the 2020s, we are here exploring all of these new winemakers that have popped up, as well as a few of the the very old historic ones. Because, yeah, these winemakers are not new. The wineries are new. The brand is new, but their winemaking and their family goes back generations. And some of the places we visit, you'll actually meet the the son, the father, and the grandfather, and they all work in the wine industry together and, and make excellent wine.
1: Sometimes it's the daughter, the father, and yeah.
0: Yeah, a lot of female
1: winemakers coming. I can't wait to do that episode. I'm going to do a whole episode on female winemakers and it's going to be wonderful.
0: Yeah, there's some really amazing female winemakers coming through right now. Okay, that's history. Let's move on to the second half of this episode. Let's talk about some of the grapes and the actual regions. So we were talking about like the the hardiest, most robust grape grape. Uh, The one that was being used everywhere in in the white grape category. That is called Katsuteli. It's a bit
1: interesting because it's spelt with an R-K. So you hear us say Katsuteli. You'll see some people say r They'll hit that R hard. I don't know. Most Georgians I hear, it's kind of like a -A 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 soft R. Barely touch the R at all. But yeah, if you see it spelt, it's R-K-A-T-S-I-T-E-L-I. Yeah. Katsuteli.
0: So, it's a high yield grape. It's super versatile. It's used for lots of different types of wine. Uh, So, we're not going to go into huge depths on this. I just want to introduce the basics, and you will see it on every menu. But you've got every sort of, because it's such a hugely popular variety still, just because it was planted in so many places, uh, you've got this massive range from very cheap, sort of budget wines, all the way through to incredibly well crafted fine wines made with this. And every different region around the country, uh, well, Karketi specifically is the biggest region for this grape. It is being grown in a few other regions now, but historically, Karketi was the place. Um, You'll find uh, a lot of different styles. So it's impossible to say that, you know, all Katsatellis will taste like apples. They won't. Uh, But a lot of them do. Uh, Especially the very country type ones. I'd say apple is probably one of the dominant flavors. Another really important grape is called Mtvani. Mtsvani, Also a little little hard to pronounce. And This word in Georgian actually just means green which refers to the colors of the grapes themselves. Uh, the wines that they make from this, uh, I find them to be a little bit more uh, delicate, a little bit more uh, aromatic than Cazzatelli. But once again, it always depends on which winemaker you're going to. Uh, and they sometimes blend the two together as well. Another really important white grape is uh, Chunuri. This is from the central region of Georgia, from the Kartli region, sometimes called Chinibuli. You might see that's the same grape, but with a different name. Uh, and Solikuri is probably the most famous grape from Western Georgia. Uh, This is often characterized with a slightly higher acidity wine than the other types we've been talking about. Quick notes on some red grapes. Once again, uh, of course, the Soviet Union was not just enforcing the lots of white grapes grown, but they wanted lots of red grapes grown as well. And the grape they chose for that was Saparavi. Saparavi is probably, I'd say, possibly because it's more easy to pronounce, possibly the most (laughs) famous Georgian grape. uh, When it gets out uh, outside of Georgia, it's the one that a lot of people are going to try. And of course, because it's a typical red wine, well, it's a typical red uh, quivery wine, or it can be made in any way, uh, rather than an amber wine. Uh, if people aren't really too certain about trying an amber wine, they might try the red first to find out what Georgian wine is. And this is probably one of the most popular choices. It has this unique quality to it, which I can never pronounce properly, because uh, it's a French word that is incredibly difficult to say. Uh, but what, what the word means is that the skins and the juice are, are red whereas with a lot of red grapes, only the skins are red and the juice is actually a uh, greenish colour.
1: Yeah, so pay attention. Think, of, think about like if you've ever bitten into a red grape in your local supermarket or something. Yeah. You'll inside's bite into it, inside's green. But here, it's actually red inside as well. It's a very unique grape.
0: There's only a few grape varieties around the world that have this unique quality. But what it leads to is instead of making just a red wine, it typically makes a very dark black wine. It's so dark.
1: It is teeth staining. Yes. very much but don't let that turn you off like you know just you know have some sips of water in between flush 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 you're all good
0: Uh, like cazatelli it is also massively versatile and massively widespread and saparavi is the name of the grape but there are so many different types of wines that are actually made from that grape and the names relate to the places they're made yeah because it's so widespread uh so you're definitely going to try that if you come here you can't miss it really Tauqueri is another slightly less popular but also very nice red wine. Uh, More made in central Georgia, but also made a little bit outside of that area as well. And a couple of other sort of famous grapes you might bump into are Alexandruli, which is the main grape used to make Franchcara, which was Stalin's favorite wine, Uh apparently. And uh, that's the Franchcara is normally sort of a slightly sweeter wine, but there's some Alexandruli that's dry, which is great as well. Otskunuri Saperi is uh, another red variety, more from West Georgia, and Ojaleshi. Also, uh, we'll mention about that a bit later.
1: I feel like Ojaleshi is—it's uh, having its its moment. People are definitely
0: because it was a rarer grape, very yeah. much rarer grape, uh, and now it's it's moved into uh, to more slightly more mainstream, but only sort of mainstream in terms of Georgia Georgians, uh, yeah. not mainstream internationally.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. It's like it's people in Georgia going, "Ooh, I, I like this Ojaleshi."
0: All right. Uh, before I talk about the the last section, which is the actual wine regions, I wanted to give a couple of tips on visiting wineries here. Yeah. Because this is one of the number one problems I have when I'm talking to guests who want to come on a tour. I literally have to do this full explanation to some of them for them to understand the difference between what they think wine tasting is and what wine tasting in Georgia is. Yeah. And you won't believe the amount of hassles I've had with trying to explain this to people. They they're literally like, why would we spend two hours at a wine tasting, like at one winery? Yeah, because they've never spent that long in a winery. They're used to going to production line wineries where they get you through the door, they charge you a couple of dollars or five dollars, or maybe even give you a free tasting. You taste like five wine sips very quickly. Yeah, and then they like, do you want to buy something or do you want to leave? And that's a wine tasting in a lot of countries. Very, and I'm much sure so. most of our listeners who've been to a winery will be familiar with this. I'm not saying that's universally true, but I'm saying so many big wineries and even medium-sized wineries around the world do that exact same thing. It's a money-making process. Yeah. I mean, they
1: don't want you to sit there and drink their wine all day. They want you to get in, buy whatever wine you want, and then move out so that other people can also come in and buy more wine. Yeah.
0: It's a production line wine tasting. Yeah. Now, there are a few very large wineries here that also have followed that style, and they're the places we don't go. I mean, occasionally people request to go to them and we'll take you if you really want to see the difference, but most people do them and then they're like, oh, yeah, you're right. It wasn't really worth going to them, was it? I mean,
1: I, I don't think it hurts to see the difference no, between fun. them. And, uh, yeah, there's some of the places I actually, I, I enjoyed my visit there, but certainly not as much as I enjoy going to a small artisan winemaker.
0: So that's probably like the, the main first thing to be aware of is you're actually going to visit some artisan winemakers. You're probably going to visit them at their home and they're going to be treating you as a guest. They're genuinely going to be happy to see you. They're genuinely going to want to impress you with their wines. Remember what I
1: said about Mother Georgia before?
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. If uh, you come as a guest, I will give you
1: my wine, all of my wine, all of it.
0: Guest is a gift from God. That is actually a traditional part of Georgian culture to see things that way. So they really do see it if you're coming there in peace that you should be treated very, very well. Whereas a guest at a factory is not a guest. It is a customer. And that is why you're treated as a customer and not as a guest. So uh, the differences then. Firstly, yeah, uh, 30 to 60 minutes is hardly ever even close to enough time to do one of these. So when we tell people that they'll be doing two to three wineries in a day, people say, what? Surely we can do like four or five. I mean, it's a 12 hour day. And they just have no idea.
1: No one's liver can take that.
0: No. I mean, literally, we've done tours where we get to the first winery and guests are like, can we just stay here all day? (laughs) That literally (laughs) happened this week. Again, it happens all the time. So you want to do one winery? Come on, I want to give you a bit more variety than that. So that's the thing you've got to plan. You're going to do a day out, three wineries in a day, uh, unless you're very consistent with spitting the wine out, which of course some professionals are, but most other people are not. Then you are going to be pretty drunk by the end of the day. Two wineries is a safe amount if you're not a big drinker and plan at least two hours for each of these wineries that you're going to visit if you're going to actual artisan wineries and not places that are commercial restaurant type places. Mm -hmm. They don't take walk-ins. Very rare. Uh, You should call them at least a day in advance. If you just turn up, they might do something for you. You might get uh, a little snack and you might get to try a couple of wines, uh, but you're not going to get a full load of food necessarily. I mean, it depends. Sure. If they've already cooked some lunch for themselves and they're feeling happy and generous to have guests, they, they might be like, great, share yeah. some food with me. We just remember, it's no a guarantee. family home. Yeah. So
1: they're living there. They're, they're It's just like knocking on some random person's door and being like, hi, can I have some food and wine, please? And yes, they are a business. So of course, they'll be like, sure, but they might not be expecting you. So, well, they won't be expecting you. So if you want the full experience, you have to book in advance.
0: Yeah, for sure. Otherwise, you just take your chances and you go to like five or ten wineries and one or two of them will host you. Or, yeah, as I said, normally they'll give you at least a bit of wine and they'll charge you a bit of money for that and whatever. Um, That's another thing actually to say. Those artisan places are never free. That that literally never happens. Only a few of the big factories do free wine tastings. Uh, The artisan places, they can't do it. They literally can't do it. If they gave everyone free wine tastings, they would have no money for their family. So it's just not not realistic. Expect to pay for stuff. And that's fine because they do give you a lot of wine when you do a tasting. English visits are often not available. Very much a gamble. Uh, some places may list if you can find them; they may list that someone speaks English there. Uh, if you don't find them in advance and you just turn up following the brown signs they have around the countryside, then no guarantee.
1: Yeah, generally, uh, if you want someone that speaks English and you do book in advance, they'll get their nephew in from Tbilisi, or they'll get their cousin yeah, it's in Yeah, a possibility. From, you know that uh, sometimes they just don't have that option. But if you if you do have if you booked in advance, sometimes they will try and get somebody to be there that day to speak
0: English with you. Yeah. Uh, And some of them speak Russian uh, as well. So if you speak Russian, that may help. Uh, But having a Georgian guide who can translate is obviously the easiest solution for dealing with that. The serving size, I think we already sort of hinted at the fact that uh, if you go to two or three wineries, you're going to be a bit drunk by the end of the day. Uh, So that sort of sip, sip, and that's it. You're done. Uh, Western European style is not a thing. No, it's a We are talking about a full glass of wine for every tasting at those sorts of places. And then
1: how many wines at each place?
0: Well, I mean, two to five, maybe it depends so on five the place. two to five
1: full glasses of wine
0: per place. winery visit. But then once you finish the wine that they give you at the start, if you liked it a lot and you show that you like it a lot, they'll probably give you some more. And then they might give you some more after that as well. Mm, the bottle's open anyway. Yeah, the bottle's open. So, yeah, uh, definitely not a dri- uh, self-drive trip. No. Definitely not.
1: No, please don't.
0: Get a driver. Um, yeah. And another thing to note is that a lot of small places, they will not open before 11 a.m. or even 12 unless you've booked in advance. And even then they might tell you we don't open till 11. So because it's their home, they got other stuff going on and they might be closed by like six in the evening as well. So don't expect to. I mean, a lot of people say to me, can we just start at like 7 a.m. and do the tour a bit earlier? And like, well, yeah, if you want to go sit in the countryside and just sit in a field for a bit. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. sure. But uh, nothing in Georgia really starts before
1: 10 anyway, like even in Tbilisi, like there's not a lot that really starts before 10. In the countryside, they're going to be even slower with getting up and getting stuff done. So,
0: But book in advance and it might be all good. Yeah. All right. That's just some general tips. Uh, And if you can't be bothered to deal with any of that, then as you may be aware, we run the tours. I mentioned it a few times, didn't I? Oh. Uh, Eatthistours.com. We've already sorted out the places to go. We already have great guides and sommeliers as well if you want to book a sommelier. And we will take you out and just take you to the places that we think are amazing. Yeah. So If you no want to see some
1: of the things we've done recently, you can also check us out on Instagram, which is uh, currently Eat This Tours Georgia. Instagram is giving me drama. Anyway, Eat This Tours Georgia or Eat This Tours on Facebook.
0: So this episode started getting a bit longer than we were expecting.
1: My glass is empty. Yeah,
0: we need to refill our wine and then we need to do another half for this, I think, because uh, we've definitely hit the point where it's going to be a really, really long episode to listen to otherwise. So what we're going to do is we're going to have our first sort of crash course to the general introduction of Georgian wine that you just listened to. And then in the next episode, we're going to cover wine regions and microzones to give you like a, a very rapid overview of the, the general sort of winescape of Georgia. So uh, listen out for that. That's coming up next week. And, of course, if you are looking to come and explore uh, some of the wine in Georgia, then make sure you check out eatthistours.com. We are doing lots and lots of tours around, uh, especially Karketi, and that's the main wine region, which we'll talk about in the next episode, but also to uh, all of Georgia, really. So we can set up any sort of custom tours, but we especially focus on Karketi region because it's the place everybody wants to go. Yeah.
1: Also, please feel free to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. That's where I share all of our adventures around Tbilisi and Georgia. We are Tbilisi podcast on both of those. I haven't gotten to the TikTok yet. Someone's asked me to get into the TikTok, but I don't know. I'm a bit old. 38. I don't know about the TikTok.
0: You even said that with old.
1: Old. So we'll see. So I'm currently on Instagram and Facebook at uh, Tbilisi podcast. Follow my random adventures. I just. You know, when we go out on a wine tour, I post there. When I'm walking around Tbilisi with our son, I find random street art. I post that there too. So, you know, what I'm eating, everything. If if you're interested in it, come follow my adventures.
0: For sure. All right, we'll be back next week with the second half of this episode and you're going to learn all about the different wine regions.
1: Thanks for listening to the Tbilisi Podcast. Connect with us at foodfundtravel.com slash podcast, where you can find all relevant social media links, join our email newsletter, and discover more about travel, tours, and expat services in Georgia. This show was brought to you by foodfuntravel.com, expathub.ge, and eatthistours.com.